Five to Nine is a podcast for the side hustle generation. For those who make their bread in a nine to five job and fulfill their dream in a five to nine hustle. For the moonlighting culture. For those who want more. We sit down with inspiring people for a conversation on how they fulfill their passions with creative projects. And why they do what they do. Let's, Let's jump, jump in. Five to nine. Five to nine. In this episode of 5 to 9, we talk to Ariel Vieira, the creator of Urbanist, a publication dedicated to exploring different cities' history, food, and culture, mostly via Facebook Live. Ariel has been doing live video walking tours of New York City for months now, and he grew his Facebook page from 0 to 10K followers in just three months without paying a dime. Not a dime. Oh my gosh, that's crazy that's and impressive. so many. <laughs> we learned about how Ariel first became an online people walker on Urbanist and why live streaming is so popular. Why he is so fascinated by cities. How after his music blog got shut down by Tumblr after years of writing, he started approaching projects like a sand mandala, something that you build and can wash away. Then even got a little deeper in his connection with spirituality and mindfulness. Oh yeah, that was so cool. Lots mm. of really inspirational quotes and thought-provoking conversation. Mm, and I especially love our convos about the various books that we've been reading. Yeah, so many good ones. Yeah! yeah. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? <laughs> Welcome to the show, Ariel. Oh, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So to start off, mm -hmm. tell us a bit about your background, where you came from, what did you do to get here, who are you? I grew up in New York City, Jackson Heights, Queens, and I've been living here my entire life. So uh, right now I do Facebook Live video of exploring cities around the world. Mm -hmm. And I just combine my loves of history, community building, and video, combine them all to do Facebook Live. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like, because then you also know a lot about the city. Mm -hmm. um, I've watched a lot of your videos from Grand Central to Queens to touring. I remember I was watching one where you were literally on the train and talking about Queens, and you just know so much about New York City. And it seems like Urbanist is like your love letter um, yeah. to New York City, and you want to express it to the world. It's my yeah. love letter more to cities in general, because I think cities are the pinnacle of human achievement. Mm -hmm. uh, and most people are moving to cities anyway. By 2050, National Geographic says that 90% of the human population is going to live in cities. Mm. So I see myself as just starting uh, this type of media that focuses deeply on cities where not so many other companies are doing. Uh, mm. And yeah, so I, lo I love cities just in general, just being able to walk around a place that's walkable, very densely populated mm. where I can just have coffee, see a museum, et cetera, et cetera. You study electrical engineering. Yes. And now you make videos. So <laughs> where along the lines of that did you learn about how to edit videos and record videos while you were at school doing those things? Or no. where did that crossover come from? I, I so I study electrical engineering to procrastinate doing video. So I studied the, one of the hardest majors to just n avoid doing video because I was afraid of doing it. How did you even, were you interested in electrical engineering? Was it because uh, you thought that it's going to make you money? So I thought it was going to make me money. Mm -hmm. um, so I was lazy to attempt studying film or marketing or communication or something related to the arts. And then the other part is uh, actually I do love tech. I mm. love tech and uh, I love um, also film tech as well. I was very deeply inspired by James Cameron, who also studied electrical engineering 
and Very became cool. a filmmaker because he designed his own cameras. That's awesome. Uh, mm-hmm. For the 3D cameras in Avatar, and he also designed his own submarine yeah. to film the, sh- the first sequence in Titanic. Mm. Uh, so I was deeply inspired by that, too. Yeah. So I'd love to hear a little bit about how, like, when you started um, Urbanist as a, as a side project, like, how much time did you end up putting in right away? Because uh, was there a lot of prep work and, like, having to, like, study the ceiling of Grand Central and figuring out, like, what am I going to talk about for an hour, you know? I was really heavily inspired by the podcast The Bowery Boys. The Bowery Boys explore, they talk about New York City history, uh, and every single episode is about a story, about a person, about a neighborhood or a landmark in New York City. Mm. And I started listening to them very heavily in 2015, 2014, and I got completely obsessed with them. And that's why I really got deep into New York City history. So mm-hmm. I kind of streamlined my research process by listening to their podcast because they do a whole lot of more research. Mm-hmm. So I'm indebted to them. <laughs> shout out to the Bowery Boys. Yeah, shout yeah. out to the Bowery Boys <laughs> for all the uh, Im- immense amount of information I've learned from them. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And it seems like you totally, you do this exclusively on Facebook Live. Yes. And how did you identify that this was... The right platform for you so I tried vlogging mm-hmm. um, and vlogging I was talking to myself to a camera in public and it felt extremely weird yeah um, <laughs> I felt like uh, yeah it felt very awkward <laughs> and when it came to live video I felt like I didn't have I didn't need to speak in snippets Mm-hmm. That I need to, like just like a podcast you can speak in long form you can really like let ideas flow and and turn into things you can have a conversation and I couldn't do that with regular video mm. I've always loved video like since I was five years old I wanted to become a filmmaker mm. uh, but the moment I discovered live video I found out I can be myself on video okay uh, so I let so I personally am a person who likes speaking for long periods of time I hate having short conversations um, so I uh, in live video, that's what I can do. I could just really yeah. uh, elaborate, spitball a bunch of different ideas and history and things that I know. Yeah, and it seems like it was like the perfect opportunity and it was the right time because Facebook Live, when you first started Urbanist, was kind of blowing up. Yes. Yeah, I got so lucky that Facebook Live came about mm-hmm. um, because I tried Periscope and there's a lot of trolls on Periscope. No offense to Twitter, <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's um, uh, there's a lot of trolls on Periscope, and I really didn't like uh, enjoy uh, you now because it's a lot of young people mostly doing music. Yeah, I read some articles about you now about how it's it's kind of like the the hidden platform that has a lot of passion around it, and a lot of tweens are on it. Yeah, and brands haven't necessarily discovered the power of you now just yet. Why do you think? people love urbanists so much why do you think they love your content so much um i think it's various factors and if actually anyone on the live stream wants to chime in let us know um yeah i think it's one it's very immersive um we're inundated with a lot of travel media which is very quirky and fun and fast cuts and editing or highly stylized like anthony bourdain who's amazing, but mm-hmm. it's so stylized, you don't get a sense of the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I personally enjoy doing, coming from a love for filmmaking and a love for history and a love for walking, 
is to sh- give you a feeling that you're walking with me. Mm. Uh, so I think what makes Urbanist stand out so far is that I take care in making you feel like you're there with me. Mm. So you're walking with a friend through the city. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a tour guide. I am a friend that knows the city. Mm. Yeah, Which is kind special. of like the trend of how millennials like videos you say were especially on snapchat where things are made much more raw yeah and way less stylized and people like to see people in a very raw and normal form instead of this like highly stylized videos yeah raw uncensored unedited mm-hmm. uh, it feels real um and not necessarily every type of media needs to be real but i think people are craving for something a little bit more on a higher scale reality. Mm-hmm. So w- another reason I actually started doing live streaming was because I listened to this fascinating episode of Note to Your Note Note to Self podcast, mm-hmm. um, where they talked about tech in other countries. And in Korea, they're a few years ahead of us in terms of live streaming. They already been live streaming for the past three years, mm-hmm. and it's so big over there that people are getting full time salaries for just eating in front of cameras. Yeah, I actually saw an article about that. I know that it's a huge thing in China also. Yeah, where, all over Asia. Yeah, all over Asia, where kid, there, there's tons of videos of people just eating their dinner mm-hmm. um, in front of a live stream camera, and people like watching them because they oftentimes they eat their meals and it reminds them of home and it reminds them of the precisely. meals that they eat when they were younger. Yeah, precisely. Uh, and also, it's not even... Not even in the sexual context, nor not in like the Anthony Bourdain yep. context. <laughs> it's like just just eating a meal, yeah. and people are watching. People are paying tons of money for people to just eat. Yeah, uh, and that fascinates me, and yeah. that's why I thought to myself, like, yeah, people really do want to see someone walking around yeah. because maybe, like you said, it brings back the, them to home and to the experience yeah. of eating a cool meal from a family member or something like that. Yeah, and, and they just want companionship. Yeah, they just, they just want to be with someone, watching someone while they're alone at home. Yeah, <laughs> which would oh, which is not necessarily a sad thing at all mm-hmm. because uh, it's natural. Social media is basically a small neighborhood town where you mm-hmm. walk around and say hi to your friends. Mm-hmm. Are you finding that most of the people that are watching you are in New York or like outside New York? No, mo- most of most of my loyal fans are from uh, Europe. Cool. Oh, interesting. Yeah, but people are watching from all over the world. The majority of my viewers are from the U.S., but the most loyal commenters are European. First of all, people want to plan their trip when they come to New York City. Mm. Uh, second of all, people don't. Uh, people want to just escape for a little while while they're working. People watch me while they're working, mm-hmm. or or while they're washing the dishes. People yeah. set their phone right next to the dish rack and just watch me so to escape and then the other factor is some people are just not able to walk around Mm. for various reasons uh and i give them the opportunity to vicariously walk uh Mm. which actually is something very impactful from the stories i've heard um because it feels like i'm giving these people also a nice outlet to do something that they're just not able to for various reasons I saw an article about this uh, guy who was walk- like literally just walking with, instead of walking dogs, he was a people walker. Did you yeah. see about yeah. this? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I'm an online people walker. I'm just like that dude. Yeah. <laughs> Ariel, awesome. the exactly. online people walker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what is your, the most memorable comment that you've gotten from the urbanist? 
Oh, wow. Yeah, the one of the best comments I've ever gotten was I did a tour of Roosevelt Island uh, right between Manhattan and Queens. Mm-hmm. And I like doing these Wes Anderson-esque lateral shots where I move laterally and show... So I showed the East River laterally for like yeah. a few minutes and a huge barge ship was passing by. Mm-hmm. And I was so amazed by it. I love the East River. I keep doing broadcasts all over the East River. Uh, and then after the broadcast, I got a message from a follower of mine and it was huge. It was this big like essay-esque message. And she basically told me that she was crying just full of tears. Wow. Uh, because her grandfather used to live, uh, used was treated, was a veteran treated at the hospital at Roosevelt Island, and every day he would just go on his wheelchair to the waterfront and watch the ships passing by because he loved ships. And when I showed her that via Facebook Live, she was miles, hundreds of thousands of, well, probably thousands of miles away, uh, unable to come to New York City in the recently and. I allowed her to revisit a place where her grandfather used to live. Wow. That's awesome. That's amazing. I love that all these things that we do, it means different things mean different things to different objects mean different things to people. Yeah. Is that a cliche saying? I don't know. But it's, it's, it's true where when you see one thing, it might mean something totally different and totally emotional to someone else. And I love that you draw out those kind of feelings through your podcast and through your work. Yeah, yeah, it's so true. Like, I mean, through, through your live stream and through your work. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I realize like, I provide some value to people in terms of learning about history or, or living vicariously or seeing something aesthetically pleasing in terms of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. But I know people can watch for hundreds of different reasons, and I don't want to dictate why they watch it. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, just putting it out there, and they can watch it for whatever reason they like. I just know I provide a certain set of values, like certain stuff stuff that's valuable to people, but they watch it for any reason. Tell us a little bit more about, so we saw this article that you wrote on LinkedIn um, about how you grew Urbanus from zero to over 10K followers in three months. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. How did you do that? So when I did my very first video on Urbanus, I realized like I need an audience. I love live video. Now I got to get my audience. Um, what I learned in my previous job was that I can just reach out to other pages. So Facebook is right now very different from YouTube. YouTube, you can't share a video. You can't collaborate with other people and have them share it. Mm-hmm. But Facebook has a built-in distribution platform. YouTube only has a discoverability platform. Mm. And that's the beauty about Facebook. And I thought to myself, Okay, let, let me see who are the bigger pages I can share with because bigger companies and bigger organizations really want live video as well. They want their fans to see live video of their locations. So I reached out to Atlas Obscura, City Lab, Central Park, and a few others to share my videos so I can expand my audience quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's how I went from zero to 12,000 in four months. Yeah. And it's because of these guys that's watching yeah, because you. because all everyone who's watching right now, yeah. Um, and, and I, I figured, like, on Facebook, that's the best way to really spread the word because there's no discoverability on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, unless if people like your video, you have a small chance of appearing on someone else's feed. Very small. 
mm-hmm. or you have to pay ads. Mm. But the other method is sharing with major pages. Yeah. And it's it's mutually beneficial beneficial because they get the engagement on their page as well. So people watch the live video, my live video, and they comment on that post first, and then they go into my post and start commenting there. So mm. they, they well, whoever ends up seeing their page, they're like, wow, you guys get a thousand comments on the video. Cool. And they don't even, they can't even tell that's my video. They, they, they assume it's their video, which yeah. I don't mind at all. Yeah. Cause it's, yeah. it's all mutually beneficial. Mm. So did you have to have the audience first before those other pages were like, yeah, of course, like I'm going to get a thousand comments on this video or was it, was it just kind of like you were just starting out and it, like, um, it was just like free content for them. And then they had the audience. So Alice Obscura had a personal relationship. I knew someone uh, works there. I also know the CEO. Okay, so interesting story. Uh, the reason I got Alice Obscura within my like first two weeks was because uh, my second broadcast on Urbanist, I was doing a broadcast of Times Square, the history of Times Square, and I bumped into Dylan Thuris the CEO of Alice Obscura while on my broadcast. Amazing. And I already knew him. Uh, he's a really cool guy. And he joined me on my broadcast for like five minutes. And then I contacted the audience develop the head of audience development over there. I'm like, hey, Dylan was on my broadcast. We I talk about history of New York City, care to share my videos. And that's how I made them my main partner. You mentioned earlier that you were an electrical engineering major and you started a music blog on the side. <laughs> and we know that there was an interesting story that happened with the music blog, with um, how it was taken down. So tell oh, us yeah. about that story. It was pre-urbanist times. So I was writing for six years on a daily basis, posting a song and a piece of writing attached to it. So I would usually talk about the song or the film if it was a score or about spirituality or about my personal life. Uh, and and that was on Tumblr? I, I was all on Tumblr. Yeah. And after six years, Tumblr sent me a notice saying that I was banned from the platform. And my entire blog was deleted. Wow. Every single piece of writing. The reason was because I, I violated music copyright. And I was one out of hundreds of blogs that were deleted as well. And, um, yeah, I used, I didn't put any download links whatsoever. I didn't like purposely pirate music to, to the platform. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I used their own platform to upload the song so people can play it and listen to the song while, uh, it was there. And this was the, this was like before the days of SoundCloud and Spotify. So there wasn't really easy embeddable music. Oh, so you uploaded music instead of pulling it from YouTube. Yeah. So just in the instant uh, my entire writings were gone and I could, I, I was luckily able to retrieve about like 40% through web archives. Yeah. Um, but so yeah, they didn't even give you a notice before pulling it down. So they did. And I ignored all of them. Um, <laughs> one, because I thought they were bullshitting. And then two, because, uh, yeah, two, two, because I didn't care to like replace every single song with a link or just to start deleting all my posts because my entire blog was music, so mm-hmm. I couldn't like delete every single post. Right. It was too like tedious. Hundreds, right? Yeah. So yeah, the impact that happened after that, it, it, my blog was deleted overnight. Um, so I lost daily writings that I had for six years. Um, and, and how'd that, how'd that like make you feel and like what horrible <laughs> the, reason, the reason I ask is that it hasn't seemed to slow you down about like starting new things off. No, at all. not at all. Okay. So 
the interesting thing is this happened around when I was seeing season three of House of Cards. And <laughs> okay. this, this story is going to be interesting because in season, I think it was season three. Season three of House of Cards, there's a subplot of a bunch of Buddhist monks in the White House making a sand mandala. And sand mandala is these um, beautiful paintings that are just like, they look like microcosms. It's just very intricate paintings. And they were making it out of sand. And what Buddhist monks do is that they make it out of sand with a bunch of different colored sands a year or a few months or whatever time super intricate and then just blow it away right and, and they don't document it usually right that at all like it's not usually they don't document it. yeah yeah um so yeah yeah usually they don't take a photo of it, it, it like uh, uh, that's that's what they aim for is to not document it to literally just make it disappear and blow it away and blow it away you work so hard on it though you work so hard yeah and it's very tedious work it's it's one of the most tedious because you're working with very fine sand and so you're spending eight hours a day talk so, about side hustle <laughs> <laughs> eight hours a day just working with sand so to lose it all in one night so that inspired you in some way to say like yes. well then uncharted lust was just a mandala of my time the past few precisely years. so I, love that. I thought to myself like and this is the stuff I wrote about. I'm very into philosophy and spirituality. So this is the stuff I was writing about. So I took advantage and actually wrote about that. Nice. Um, but yeah, to me, it felt like, okay, I wrote for six years. I lost it. But I was, why was I writing? And to me, I was writing as a meditation. I was writing to uh, kind of let, uh, put my thoughts into writing and just let them go. Mm, um, awesome. And after that, they just went away uh, and I think it wasn't a bad thing I think it was good in the sense that I don't need to hold on to those writings because I can always make new art and the San Mandala analogy taught me the impermanence of art especially in the digital world mm. where we are under the false impression that uh, things digitally live on forever but they don't mm. they can easily be erased uh, they can easily be damaged or they can easily be copied or duplicated uh, nothing is permanent in this world. And that's a pretty big statement for the universe, and that's why the Buddhists do it, but also for art and for even side hustles. Mm. You might have a job and then suddenly be laid off, which <laughs> I was at Gawker Media. Mm. I worked for a year and a half, built an awesome community, and laid off overnight. Mm. Um, and I realized, like, it's okay. Just start over because the beauty is not the work. The beauty and the true worth is what you learn from that work interesting oh my gosh i love that um yeah, yeah right now i i've been reading a lot about kind of just enjoying the present yes and what you yes yeah and just <laughs> that's a big thing right now and very big yeah what you've just mentioned is kind of like what we gain from the experience of doing what we love to do is the act of doing it mm -hmm. and the process of doing it um it's awesome to see something grow and to become this awesome final product but what you experience as a person is the part where you're working hard towards it, the part where you feel super passionate about actually making the work happen mm -hmm. instead of the final product. Yeah, exactly. So if you realize if your artwork can be deleted overnight, then you have to really be present while you're doing your art or your work. Mm -hmm. And by art, I mean very generally. It could be, I, I think you should... Uh, make whatever you do into art. It mm -hmm. could be even business and sales. Mm -hmm. That is also art. 
Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you should be present while I think it's worth it to be present while doing it. And uh, my blog being deleted overnight taught me, okay, when I do my work as to be present. And uh, ironically, now I'm doing live video, which is the most present form Amazing. of video. Because that, that, in a way, I realized like, okay, people are not really going to watch afterwards. Some people do. Yeah. But the entire experience is all live. Yeah. That's such a great mindset. Did you always have this sort of mindset of seeing in the present and enjoying the now? Because uh, I, I obviously learned yes. about all of this and it's really helping um, how I view work. Yeah. But in the past, I've always been like, I would worry about what's going to happen, what's going to happen in the future. But in the end of the day, it's you can only control the right now. So how did you learn about this sort of mindset? Oh, it was wonderful. In, in high school, I took this class called World Religions uh, with this professor who was actually raised by two deaf parents. Mm. So he was like a super stoic, uh, calm dude. And he made us read this book called Zen in the Martial Arts. And I remember uh, at a, t a moment in class where everyone else was sleeping and I was paying attention to him like on like completely edge of my seat because he was talking about the flow of life as how the Taoists describe it as a river mm -hmm. where if you want to the best way to live your life is just like being on the river if you swim against it you'll struggle and not get anywhere if you try to swim faster you'll still not get anywhere faster you have to just flow and i was on the edge of my seat and i realized everyone else is asleep and he just like gave me a, like a knowing look like, no, okay. oh my god best <laughs> student in the class yeah uh and that he, like strike his stroke his beard after <laughs> yeah <laughs> he did have a beard actually uh, but after that like i started getting very addicted to self-improvement books yeah um books about Buddhism and spirituality and mm -hmm. and I started writing that on my blog on a daily basis and writing on my blog on a daily basis to help me unpack all these thoughts I had about creation and life mm. that was the that was the mindset and I think um I was reading a whole lot of books related to that like the secret and oh my gosh I love yeah. the secret yeah, great book mm -hmm. it, 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 to many people it's very woo woo yeah uh, but I think there's a very grounded meaning within that which yeah. means okay visualize what you want and continue moving forward yeah um and if, for yeah. people who haven't read the secret it's essentially his book i have not yeah oh my god it's, amazing. <laughs> it's like it's like the cheesiest yeah. self-help book it's it like is. the self-help book okay and it's all about how if you want something really bad and you keep bringing positive vibes and you want it hard enough you will eventually get it cool yeah, yeah, I think in in a way it's kind of accurate. Yeah, yeah, it's million like million dollars, million dollars. Yeah, of course you have to like, of course you have to like do things. Yeah, yeah, make steps. I'm sure. But the whole mentality is that like you have to just like believe in that thing that you really want mm. and oh, just yeah. like strive for it and just have like open positive vibes. Okay. And people don't. I dig that. I dig that. Yeah, people don't realize that that is actually true. Mm -hmm. They framed it as like the higher universe is getting what you really want but no it's it's a lot more grounded than that because yeah. even on the side hustle what do you do in the side hustle you usually start meeting people start having coffee with people what happens when you start having coffee with people mm -hmm. they start introducing you to other people mm -hmm. i met you because i've met uh nick, nick. gray of mm -hmm. museum hack 
uh, over a cocktail. Mm. Shout out and to Nick Gray. Yeah. yeah. Nick Gray's the best. <laughs> Museum then, hack. And then I met you. I've always wanted to be a podcast. I said like three weeks ago, I sent out a tweet. It's like, I can't wait for the day I'm on the podcast. You said that? Yeah, I did. You never told me that. Yeah. <laughs> Dream come true. The secret yeah. worked. Uh, so, so the secret doesn't work in in a way. Like it, it, all these um, tiny little actions you take ripple out, and even I think to a lot of your listeners, it's very valuable to think that every little small step you take is the, is what's going to help you out in the long run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was. All, I'm currently reading this book called. Um, the Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Oh, yeah. Mark Manson. Great book, yeah. Mark Manson. And um, I'm just, I'm going to do my best to say what I was trying to say. But basically, mm-hmm. normally people think that what transpires action is inspiration and motivation. But at the end of the day, he thinks that ac- it's actually a cyclical cycle yeah. where action inspires motivation and also inspiration and those three things actually is a cycle not so much like a linear path Mm. so when you want to do something if you're going to sit there and you're just going to be i'm just going to sit here to wait to be inspired you're not going to be inspired you just need to take action and do something it doesn't matter whether it's like a little thing write a to-do list or Mm. just like write an email, write something little, small little things. As you do those little things, you're going to get more inspired and you're going to get more motivation. So um, I think that was a big, yes, big takeaway for me. It's awesome. I need to read that. Yeah. yeah. And I think, um, let's get a little bit more granular when it comes to side hustles. Uh, I think a lot of people think a lot of people will give the advice, just do it. Just make something, mm-hmm. just follow your passion. Yeah. Yes. Do that. Uh, but also find ways to provide value to people and find ways to distribute that content. Mm-hmm. And once you distribute, and distribute could be mean a hundred different things. Mm-hmm. Um, Facebook, I share with major pages. YouTube can mean trying to get other people to share and do takeovers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, if you distribute and get people eyes on it and think more granularly, then it provides the inspiration to keep doing that content and that content that you keep on doing, you're going to keep on learning, and then keep on learning, you're keep making better content. Mm-hmm. And it's that cycle that you just mentioned. Yeah. I think when people do side hustles, they really have to, they could, uh, I think, at least for me, I, I decide to take it seriously. I take, I decide to, I want to make videos, they are fun, but I also have fun collaborating and, and asking people to share. Mm-hmm. So let me do that so I can really sustain myself creatively, so I can boost myself up. Yeah. Not only to get more views, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a very nice thing professionally, but uh, to keep keep myself going so I can feel motivated creatively. What are you obsessed with right now? Could be an app, could be a TV show. Yeah. Pretty much anything except Urbanist. What are you obsessed with? Uh, Learning how to learn. Oh. Oh. Uh, Tell us more. How how are you doing this? A shitload of podcasts. Uh, so I listened to uh, Chase Jarvis live. Yeah, you introduce him to me. He's uh, he's one of my favorite podcasts. Amazing. Now. Every single person that he brings on his podcast is so great. Amazing. Uh, yeah, he he does this series called Thirty Days of Genius. He's just uh, interviewing people from all different types of uh, walks of life mm-hmm. and how they basically learn and keep on growing creatively. Uh, I also listen to James Altucher podcast, mm-hmm. who also. Uh, Interviews a bunch of creative people, mm-hmm. entrepreneurs, 
business people, everyone, artists, everything. Biggest takeaway? Think of your project as a sand mandala. The beauty is not the work. The beauty and the worth is what you learn from it. Ooh, beautiful. Mm. Nice. Yeah, and uh, by the way, we are on Instagram. Again, check it out. We are at 5T09Collective, at 5T09Collective, and you get to discover even more side project inspiration. Yes, such great content, John. <laughs> Shout out to Rick Thomas for mixing and mastering the session. We also want to thank our production manager, Shanna Wilbur. Yeah, and we want to thank Ariel for coming and speaking with us at the Rise Podcast Studio. Rise is a co-working space and community of the world's brightest thinkers and doers, working together to create the future of financial service. Go to our Facebook page to get our updates and subscribe, subscribe to this podcast.